Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many good things that we learn in the scripture about you. In fact, they're all good. Everything that the scripture says about you is good and perfect and altogether righteous. And we thank you that you have identified not only who you are, but who we are. We are sinners by nature and we're sinners by action. We're sinners by birth, but we never have to stay that way. We can be transformed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be made new creatures in Christ Jesus and become more than conquerors over our sins and over all of the darkness that surrounds us. We can be shining lights like a city set on the hill. We can be salt in this earth, and it certainly needs us. a a saltiness, Heavenly Father, a a different perspective uh, to the fear and the outrage and the concern. Uh, We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can hopefully set a good example for others. And we pray that we might be able to minister to those who become very ill, not only in this way, but Jesus said, when I was sick, you visited me. And they said, when, Lord, when did we visit you? And he said, as you did it unto one of these, so you did it unto me. And so help us to remember that, Lord, that we shouldn't just abandon the sick. We should seek to visit them and encourage them and help them and the others who are suffering around the world tonight. And we know that there's many who are hungry and many who suffer domestic violence and many who are in prison and many who live in great fear of their own family members. So we pray for all of the people who are suffering around the world tonight, Lord, and pray that your gospel would get through to them so that they might have hope. And help this church to always make wise decisions and help us to be be prudent with our spending and with our savings and with everything that we do here. We pray that it would bring honor and glory to you because we believe that this is not our church. It's certainly not my church. It's the Lord's church. And it's the church of Jesus Christ. And we want to honor and glorify him and let everybody know that we love him and we follow him and we look forward to seeing him one day soon. And so, Lord, forgive us for our many shortcomings, all of our failures we lay at your feet, and know that they are washed as far away as the east is from the west and buried in the deepest sea. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would please, to the wonderful letter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. I'll read a few verses here, and they're very, very timely verses because they talk about the government and about submitting to the government, and that is not always easy to do. And if you don't think it's easy to do under an NDP or liberal or conservative government, then imagine if you had Nero on the throne in Rome and you were a Jew in Israel and that old Gentile king who was as godless as they came was telling you how to live your life and raise your family and what to do with your money. It would be very, very difficult to submit to somebody like that. And yet here's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, 
Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not yet using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And you can keep reading down through that second chapter and into the third chapter and see that over and over again the subject matter is submission. Now the theme of the entire letter of First Peter is suffering and specifically hope for those who are suffering by pointing us to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the letter is broken down into four parts. There are four chapters you can see here. The chapters don't always follow the theme directly. So, for example, in the first chapter, and say the first 12 verses of the first chapter, the theme is the doctrine of salvation and all of the wonderful things that Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross at Easter time the doctrine of salvation, the first 12 verses. And then for a long time, we were from verses 1, chapter 1, verse 13, all the way over to chapter 2, verse 10. And it took us a long time to get through that section, which was on the doctrine of sanctification. Now tonight, we've come into a third section, which is submission. So salvation, sanctification, and then submission. And before we finish 1 Peter... If you go over, for example, to chapter 3, verse 14, you'll see in chapter 3, verse 14, the subject changes again to suffering. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And you can just read down through there the end of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. The subject is suffering. So here we have a tremendous outline for 1 Peter. Salvation, sanctification, submission, and suffering. If the S on Superman stands for Superman, then these four S's stand for being a super-Christian. If you'd like to be a super-Christian, then salvation, sanctification, submission, and suffering... This is the way to super-Christianity. And tonight, I'm going to preach a sermon to you that I've entitled, I Struggle with Submission. That's the basic title, I Struggle with Submission. And this sermon is written for every person who really does have a hard time being submissive. And there would be a lot of people that would know they have a rebellious heart. It's hard enough for some people to submit on the outside. 
But some people do a pretty good job of submitting on the outside and looking like they're submissive. But on the inside, they are very rebellious. And you probably know that you can look like you're being submissive when on the inside you're raging against whatever it is that you look like you're being submissive to. I remember the story of a little boy one time who was being quite rebellious in his class and his teacher was asking him to be seated and to sit down and stop making such a disruption and she had to ask him over and over and over again and then finally he sat down and she said thank you I'm glad that you're sitting and he retorted and snapped back at her that I might be sitting on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside and for everybody who struggles with submission and with sitting down and being obedient on both the outside and the inside, which is more important, we have these wonderful words written for us. Now you'll look here in chapter 2, verse 13, and you'll see the word submit. Chapter 2, verse 13, we just read it. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether king as supreme or governors or to those who are sent by him, Submit, submit, submit. Now this isn't the only time you'll see the word submission in verse number 18 as well. Chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive or be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. So here we have submitting to ungodly rulers and ungodly bosses and good and gentle bosses as well. But submit, submit, submit. In fact, this whole section is about submission because look in chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without the word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Submission. Chapter 3, verse 5. Same thought. Chapter 3, verse 5. It says this. For in this manner, in the former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And then just a couple more, if you look in chapter 3, verse 22, just to get the theme here, chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him and one more in chapter 5 verse 5 you probably know this one the best chapter 5 verse 5 likewise ye younger submit yourselves to your elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble so a great theme in 1 Peter, along with suffering and sanctification and salvation, is this great word, submission. And I struggle with submission. Submission is a military term. It means to line up underneath a commander in the way that a soldier or a, a whole band of soldiers would line up under their commander or the way that ships would line up under a commander. 
And in doing so, those soldiers or those ships are essentially saying, I am here at your beck and call. I am ready to serve at your command. You send me where I should go, and I will go. You tell me where to shoot, and I will shoot. You tell me to march, and I'll march until you tell me to stop marching. It's a military term of someone who is lined up under the command of another person. And when we talk about biblical submission and submitting to God, we're talking about more than just where you would go or what you would do at any given moment, but complete and utter submission. In fact, being told what to think, how to feel, what to do with your time, what to do with your finances, how to raise your family, how to spend your free time, how to believe and what to believe, and every aspect of life. I line up under the Lord and allow him to direct me and guide me and instruct me. I am his and I will do nothing else but what he commands me to do. That's what we're talking about when we talk about submission. In fact, in Titus, if you just go back to Titus for a moment, you'll find a really great translation in Titus 2 to help you understand what we mean by being subject to or submissive. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 5. Titus 2, 5. Speaking again to the younger women. Titus 2.5 says that they should be discreet and chaste. Titus 2.5, homemakers, good. And then it uses this phrase, instead of submissive to their husbands like Peter said it, here's how Paul says it, obedient to their own husbands. And if you look in verse 9, you'll see the same. It's almost the exact order that we had over in 1 Peter. Wives and now servants. Exhort, verse 9 says, bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. Be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. This is the exact same word that Peter uses for submission or being subject to someone or something. It's simply obedience. Unhesitating, unwavering, obedience so when i say i struggle with submission what i'm really saying is i struggle with obedience i have a disobedient bent i have a nature to disobey and to be rebellious rather than fall in line and do as i'm told to do and i'll tell you i'm not the only one who struggles with disobedience or with not being submissive Eve is our first example in the scripture of a long line of people who struggled with rebellion and disobedience and lack of submission. And then Adam came following right along as they both ate the forbidden fruit. Then Abraham was disobedient and Moses was disobedient. The Lord said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Israel is a classic example all through the Old Testament of people who struggled with obedience. King Saul, he struggled with obedience 
or disobedience. David struggled. Peter, the writer of that letter that we read, struggled. Paul himself, the great apostle, he said in Romans chapter 6, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? I thank my God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. I can be delivered. But I still struggle with being obedient, being submissive. I think even our prime minister struggles with obedience. I know your pastor struggles with submission or obedience. And probably you do too. You probably have a little rebellious streak in you. You say, there's no way they're going to tell me what to do. There's no way I'm going to do what they want me to do. And your pride keeps your knees from bending to anyone or to many people. A good example of unwavering or unhesitating obedience is told by Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great preacher, who told a story about a missionary couple in Zaire who had a little son. And on one particular afternoon, the father came out of their little cottage and he saw the son playing by a tree. And he immediately roared at the son, lay down on the ground. And the son dropped to his stomach. And then the father roared, crawl to me as fast as you can. And the little boy crawled to his father. And then when he got a certain distance, he said, now stand up and run. And the little boy stood up and run to his father. And when he got safely away from that tree, his father pointed back and there was this poisonous snake hanging out of the tree that could have easily dropped down on his little boy. Now, if that was me, I probably would have said, well, what do you want me to run for? Drop down, what for? Why do I have to drop down? Crawl, why do I have to crawl? And I would have had an argument there and been disobedient and delayed in my obedience and questioning and wondering. I don't know about you, but I struggle with immediate, unhesitating, Submission or obedience. Look with me, if you would, in 1 Samuel 15. I mentioned King Saul a moment ago. Do you remember how Samuel gave instruction to King Saul? And he partly obeyed. But we've all heard from our parents, probably, that partial obedience is disobedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15 Look at what we read here about the rejection of King Saul as he spares King Agag, one of the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15. Pick up the reading, if you would, please, in about uh, verse 14. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen with I, which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, Speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, 
Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on a mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder of the sheep and the oxen the best part which should have been utterly destroyed to the sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And you can keep reading there about how Saul was then rejected from being king over Israel and David, the shepherd boy, chosen to take his place because Saul disobeyed the Lord. Partial obedience is disobedience. And it says over in Second Peter, it says that the angels who disobeyed are in everlasting chains to this very moment because of their disobedience. There are serious consequences to disobedience. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 says, They say, Lord, Lord, but they do not do what I say. They do not keep my commandments. And 2 Timothy 3 teaches that there's coming a spirit of disobedience in the last days when men shall be lovers of their own selves and disobedient. Now, I'm really, really thankful that though I struggle in the area of submission and obedience, the Bible teaches me that that sin can be forgiven and has been forgiven by Christ our Lord. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so many, many times in my life, I've had to bow down before the Lord and confess to him, Lord, I have been disobedient. You asked me to do this, and I only did part of it, or I didn't do any of it at all, or I certainly did it and did not do it in the terms that you set out. I did it in my own way and in my own time, and I ask for your forgiveness. And he certainly forgives. Now, whenever we come up to the subject of submission, it's important that we get a good definition. So it not only means unwavering, unhesitating obedience, lining up under a commander, waiting for action, but let's be clear what it does not mean. I've never thought that submission means that I follow without question, you know, that I, I can't engage my mind. I simply must obey whatever it be that my boss or my fellow workers or uh, somebody in my family tells me to do. Throughout the scripture, you'll see that God is very gracious to his servants, allowing them to ask, well, why this and why that? And explain it to me. I think that you can be submissive and still ask. Uh, I'm not quite sure I understand. Or can you tell me the significance of why this has to happen? I also have never thought that submission means that the authority figure never has to share anything with the person being submissive. Sometimes you get into that kind of a marriage or a workplace or a relationship where 
the person to whom you're submitting feels that you don't have the right to even have an explanation. You just keep your mouth shut and do your job, and I will never share anything with you. You're the underling, and I'm the master. That's not what we talk about when we talk about true submission. God is the greatest example of all, and he's constantly instructing me and comforting me and explaining to me things that I don't understand to help me build my faith so I can trust him more and lean on him more accurately. So I don't think that it means uh, without question or without any explanation from the authority figure. And it certainly doesn't mean that the person to whom I am submitting is somehow better than me or greater than me necessarily, or smarter than me. Sometimes we run into this when we talk about ladies submitting to their husbands, and people think that we're saying that men are somehow better than women, or men are smarter than women. And often we run into this in the local church too, when we say that only the man should be a deacon in the church, or or only a, a male should be the pastor in the church. Sometimes people think that we're saying that somehow men are better than women or smarter than women or women can't do those types of things. That's not what we're saying at all. In fact, anybody who knows a woman knows that she can probably pastor better than any man. She has a much greater heart for people and much more compassion than the man does. And she can certainly preach a good sermon. A woman can preach as well as a man any day. But it's just not what the Lord has asked her to do. It's not because she can't do it or she's unable or she's not smart enough somehow. The perfect example of submission is the Lord Jesus Christ. He submitted to his Father in all things. And yet we read words like this, I and my Father are one. No difference between them. We read things like this, that in Philippians 2, he is in the form of God, the Lord Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 1, he's the expressed image of the father exactly identical father and son and yet he made himself of no reputation philippians 2 says and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and became obedient even to death even to death on the cross not because he was less than or somehow not as smart as just because he had one role and the spirit has another role and the father has another role but all are equal I'm the head of my house but I'm no better than my wife in fact she's way better than I am and she's way smarter than I am but God asked me to be the head the same as he asked me to be the pastor and it has nothing to do with me being any smarter or better certainly not better looking than you you're a lot better looking than I am But we submit because God asked us to. A couple of other things about submission and what it does not mean. Submission never means that you must submit to everything that you're told, especially if it's sinful. If there's ever a command that comes down or a direction from any board or committee or individual or boss who's over you, and that is against the authority of God? Do you know what Acts chapter 5 says? I'll give you the verse. It's Acts chapter uh, 6, verses 27 to 32. 
Remember, the disciples were commanded to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And you remember what they said? We'd better obey God rather than men. And when we talk about submission, whether it be to a, a family member or a, a, a king, we're not talking about submitting in everything without question. If they ask you to do something wrong, and sometimes older boys will ask younger boys to do something that's wrong, and the young boys think they have to do it because the older boys have told them, or a clergy member will tell a young lady to do something and she thinks because he's an authority figure and he has some authority over her that she has to do that because he's a clergy member? Or any number of examples that could be given where somebody in a place of authority would tell somebody else to do something that's wrong? You don't have to submit to that. You say, I'd better obey God rather than you. And God will reward you for being unsubmissive and not obedient because that person is asking you to do something that is very wrong. And then one last thing I wanted to mention about submission just before I move along, and I'm nearly done. Um, when we talk about being submissive, that does not mean that we uh, should not try to influence the person who is in authority over us. And I'll show you, if you're back in First Peter just go over with me, if you would please, to chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is in the context of the home. And look at what it says in 1 Peter 3, 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. But then look at the next phrase. That even if some do not obey the word, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So here in this case, you have an ungodly husband and the wife is told to be submissive, but she is not supposed to just allow him to be the kind of wart that he's been all his life. She's allowed to try to influence him so that he becomes a much better husband. And she does that, in this case, by her conduct. Now, there's another example of this if you go back to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I like this, it's even more clear. 1 Timothy 2.2 Again, the subject is submission. 1 Timothy 2.2. 2. Look at what it says. We'll read verse 1, 1 Timothy 2.1. I exhort, first of all, that all supplication, prayer, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority. So here we are told to, one, submit to those in authority, but pray for them. And what do you, what's one of the things you can pray? pray that they would lead a life that would be peaceable and quiet ask god to change their hearts and make them into new men or if it happens to be a queen a new woman we're allowed as people who submit to others to influence as best as we can the people in authority over us and we should be praying for all those in authority over us that their hearts would be right before the lord now, I, I'm almost uh, uh, finished here, but let me go back to 1 Peter, and I just want to show you that I'm not the only one who struggles with submission. I'd like to show you here several examples of others who struggle with submission. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And in verses 11 of 12, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, we're talking about those who are in the flesh. And people in the flesh 
struggle with submission. And um, they're not the only ones. If you go over to chapter 2, verse 13, we start talking about citizens of countries who have kings or rulers or governors over them. They struggle with submission. And then in verse 18 of the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 18, we're talking about servants, or we could say employers or students. They struggle with being submissive. And then once you get to chapter 3, you see people in the home struggle with submission. And then just one more, chapter 3, verse 8, you come to the church, and you'll see that people in the church struggle with submission. In fact, in all of these verses, there's only one person mentioned that doesn't struggle with submission. And do you know who that is? Chapter 2, verse 21 says, Chapter 2, verse 21, For to you who were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here's what Jesus did in verse 23. He committed himself to him who judges righteously, who his own self bore our sins in the body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you are healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The only person who does not struggle with submission is Jesus. And next week we'll pick this up a little bit with the subject of people who struggle because they're in the flesh. And if you don't understand the flesh, I would encourage you to come out to Mr. Morley Lever's Sunday school class on Sunday morning because he, I had the opportunity to sit in on the class this morning and he does a wonderful job teaching the Word of God. And he had a great explanation this morning of the flesh and what we mean by being in the flesh. And I can't quote him directly, but I know that he taught us that there is an immaterial part of us. Sometimes the flesh means the body, like Christ died in the flesh. So it means the skin. Um, sometimes it means from a human perspective, like in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, it says that what do we know uh, pertaining Abraham when it comes to the flesh? And what Paul means there is from a human perspective, what do we know about Abraham? But many times, Morley said, the flesh actually means this immaterial part of me that is the old sin nature and self. That that part of me which does not rely on God, is not empowered by the Holy Spirit. That part of me that seeks its satisfaction in anything other than the will of God. The flesh. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 say everybody in the flesh struggles to submit to God, there is a part of me that wants to find its satisfaction in other things than what God wants. Like God wants me to read the Bible and he wants me to pray and he wants me to witness and he wants me to gather at church with other believers and sing and be saved and sanctified and baptized and, and live for him and be honest and love others and pray for my enemies. He wants all that. But there's a part of me that screams no, 
I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to find my satisfaction in that whatsoever. And that part of me would say, oh, I'd rather stay home and watch television or Netflix or surf the internet. Or It doesn't even have to do bad things. I just want to do a hobby or I want to go out with my friends or I want to do anything other than the will of God. And it also wants to do very bad things, very selfish, very greedy, very ungodly things, like immorality and swearing and idolatry and lust and greed. and All of that is in us, and we struggle to submit to God. So the answer is only in the Lord Jesus. See, I have this old nature that struggles with submission, But a long time ago, when I was just a six-year-old boy, I came home from the school bus, and my friend David Crothers and I, we were talking about Sunday school and church and God and heaven and hell. And when I got home and my mother made a little snack for me, uh, she asked me what the day had uh, had in store, and I told her all about this conversation with my friend David. And I had gone to church ever since I was born. I was only six years old. And she said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And I said, no, I don't think so. So she told me all about Adam and Eve and how they rebelled and what Jesus came and did on the cross, how he rose again and was willing to come into my heart and give me a new life. I don't remember exactly what she said, but I do remember going down the hall in our home and my bedroom was on the right and I went in and shut the door, got down on my knees, and the best way I knew how, I said, dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me and you know on that day I received a new nature a nature which is holy and righteous and desires the things of God and that was the best decision I ever made in my life as much as I love my wife and I love this job and I love the vehicle that I drive well not so much the vehicle but (laughs) the best decision I ever made was inviting Jesus into my heart and you know when I listen to his still small voice and I follow him and I do what he wants me to do I find that I'm then like a fish in water and the greatest of satisfaction the environment I was meant to be in what really gives me life is doing the will of God submitting to him whenever I do what the old man wants. I live with regret and shame and hostility and fear. That's not the environment I was made for. It's not God's best for me. I'm trying to be submissive. I hope you'll pray for me and join me so that we can all make the pledge that Thomas Akempis made hundreds of years ago. As thou wilt, what thou wilt, when thou wilt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I apologize for the many times that I have resisted you. The Bible says I should resist the devil. But sometimes I welcome the devil and I resist you. And I'm sorry, Lord, that I struggle with submission. And I thank you that there's a new nature that you give to all who believe. 
And as we feed that new nature and as we live in that new nature, it becomes stronger and stronger. And we can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. So help us all, we pray. We're in the flesh and we struggle, but Jesus Christ is victorious. And I thank you that we are his followers. In his name, amen.